from Monday into Mysteries. Greetings, lovely kinksters and friends and listeners and readers. This is Natalie Newar, back for episode two of From Mundane to Mistress. I'm glad to have everyone back this week. I promised that we would discuss some topics such as kinky roles and where to meet kinksters and then I'd answer another question. And I am a woman of my word, so let's get to it. Our first topic today is kinky roles. I know I've gone over this a couple of times in my blog throughout the years, um, mostly on the sub-slave aspect, so I'm going to broaden this scope a little bit and cover the basics of both sides of DS roles. So if we first get started with what I'm familiar with um, as well, which is going to be the submissive roles. We have a submissive, we have a slave, and we have a bottom. Now, the difference between those three, um, this is just according to me, everyone has a different definition of it for themselves. But for me personally, a submissive is someone who submits in a relationship. You can either do this part-time, full-time, on the weekends, once a month, once a year. Um, The point is that you are choosing to do this and you're usually in a relationship with someone, some sort of relationship. It doesn't necessarily have to be boyfriend, girlfriend. Um, this can be just in the bedroom or it can be just a way to live daily. There are 24-7 subs. There are just on the weekend subs. There are just at club subs. It just is defined by how you want to do it. You usually submit only to those in a DS relationship. And when I say DS, I mean dominant submissive relationship. You usually submit to this with the respect to one another and that you're going to each act in these roles. You usually have a little bit of structure to your interaction with your dominant and possibly with other dominants or other people who might be in charge of giving you orders. Most of the time though, Submissives still have a veto card, and that's what I like to call the safe word. I went over this a little bit before, but a safe word is needed no matter what. It doesn't matter how well you know someone, how well you think you know someone, even if someone says, you'll never need a safe word with me. My boy and I have a safe word. He's yet to say it in the three years that we've been together, but it's there and it's in place and it's a safety measure. And if he ever were to say it, I would stop all play immediately and every person deserves to have that sort of power over what's happening to them. So with submissives and people in any sort of capacity of a submissive role, make sure to have a safe word. Um, In terms of slaves, I think this is very separate from a submissive. Slaves usually don't have any limits other than whatever their dominant has given them. They usually don't refuse any sort of service to the dominant. And this has been sort of debate since, I'm sure since kinky play has been um, on the table for people is how far do you go with that? And um, where do you set up between sort of the reality of I'm in control of you and the reality of, I don't want to do this, but this is my dominant. What do I do? So it's, it's a discussion that people love to have and they're not going to stop having and they should continue to have it. When is it okay to say no to your dominant? And if you're a slave, what sort of power over saying no do you have on a, 
a deeper level, I think, slaves sort of identify with this sort of intense service that an average submissive could work up to. But I found that with slaves, it's a little more um, intent and intense. They are very precise in their role and they are hardcore about it. It's almost as if, you know, you go to the gym and you see people who are just on the treadmill, just doing their thing. But then you see those gym rat guys who are like weightlifting and they're like, oh, and they're like carrying heavy, heavy weights. And for me, in my mind, that's always been the difference between a sub and a slave. So, if you identify as a slave, you possibly, you know, like I said, don't have any limits other than what your dominant has been assigning to you. Now, the last thing I mentioned was a bottom. And usually a bottom is the lower role within a sort of play session or scene. It's usually the person doesn't really submit outside of whatever they've agreed upon, whether that's at a club or a party or on a whim, but the bottom usually has more control over what happens in a scene than any other submissive type I've mentioned. Um, bottoms generally have a sort of idea in their mind of something they want to achieve, a scene they'd like to have at, and then they find a dominant who's like, hey, that sounds cool, and I will, you know, participate in that. I will operate from the top as that. And that brings us to the dominant sides of the roles that I was talking about. Um, if you are a top, um, that's that's sort of like a role um, that you play within BDSM. In my mind, I always think of tops as actors. Basically, they they can be anything in a dominant role. I, a lot of time it depends on my mood, but I don't want to be a service top. That's not, I find no enjoyment in doing something just because someone has asked me to. And that would be the difference between being a dominant and a top. That means that I take control of a partner, not in the same way I would a slave, um, as I explained, the sub gets to sort of have a safe word and, and I know my sub's limits and we play within those limits. So it's not just, it's not just we play once together and then that's that. I actually care about him. I care about his well-being. I care about his physical, mental, and emotional health. And that's not to say a top doesn't care about those things, but they might not know exactly what sort of areas you need to focus in as a bottom because they they're just playing with you for the moment or they they haven't known you very long whereas a dominant is going to get in your head a little bit more I think that we have a little bit more time to do those things um, and I also think the relationship between a dom and a sub can be very you know transient or it can be permanent you know it some some doms are married to their subs. Some people are just in long-term relationships. It, it really just depends on what works for you guys. And um, the last rules I have to talk about are the sadist and the masochist. And those two work so beautifully together because essentially one craves pain and one craves giving pain. So it always works out perfectly when you can match up a sadist and a masochist. I've, 
I've seen some crazy stuff between people who I'm like, yep, all right, they definitely are enjoying this level of pain and he's enjoying giving it to him. Um, and the last rule we have are switches and switches are awesome. You know, I give them a lot of flack, but switches are good because they basically um, play both sides of the fence. They can switch roles from one encounter to another. They can even do it in a same, in the same encounter. They can switch mid-play if that's what they've agreed upon. It's really based upon what they're feeling and um, what sort of mood they're in. I know that sometimes there's some myths that go along with being switches. People have said like, oh, switches can't be real submissives or real dominants because you know, you need to really be one or the other. And that's, that's not true. You can be whatever you want. It's fine. You can, there are times when I feel like, you know, I totally need to be in control. But then there's other times when I'm with my boy and we are doing doll play and I, I take on a submissive role as a doll. I don't consider myself a switch because my attitude towards being submissive is very specific. It has to be with him and it has to be in that capacity where I am in doll play. Because other than that, like, I'm going to fight you <laughs> if you try to boss me around. Um, I also have heard that switches are confused and they just haven't found the right person. And like, oh, when they find the right person, they'll know whether they're dom or submissive. And no, like, they, they're just enjoying both. And the... The funny thing is that I've heard a lot of these same things about bisexual people from from people and that's sort of what I identify switches as in the scene. They're sort of like bisexual. They're the, like the bisexual role. Like they're not necessarily bisexual, of course not, but they want to try a little bit of each side and that's perfectly fine there's nothing wrong with that I know lots of couples who are actually switches they're both switches and it helps both of them to be able to you know take sides and be like tonight we're doing this you're you're top and I'm bottom and then the next day you're no I'm bottom and you're top and it, it's work I, th I think it's great I think being a switch is a valuable role um I think the art of being able to submit or be you know at the top just you know like like that is it takes a very strong person to know exactly what they want from BDSM and how to execute it I don't think anyone can just say I'm a switch today like no I think switches definitely have a better grasp on what they're interested in than some people might think they do even though it seems like they're just hopping the fence so those are the kinky roles and next we will go over meeting kinksters. Most people who are new in the scene, if they're looking to meet kinksters one way or another, someone has thrown out the term munch. Go to a munch. Go to a munch. Find a munch. Go to a munch. Bring a friend to a munch. Find someone who can take you to a munch. I heard that a lot when I first got into the scene. You know, ad nauseum. It's a 1980s sort of concept that is based on a social gathering of kinksters in sort of a public setting like a bar or a restaurant. There is no, there's no play. It's a safe zone. You're supposed to be able to hang out, meet, talk with people, you know, get a feel of who's local in your community, what sort of 
activities are going on, what parties are happening. It used to be a way to socially connect with fellow Kingsters that you might not be able to see on a regular basis, but you guys knew, hey, you come here and it's the kinky cheers. We're all going to sit around and hang out and talk. I feel like the concept of of munches have been lost because it was really hard to meet other kinksters before the internet. Like it was basically a word of mouth thing, a secret back door thing. I know this club that does this thing on the third Wednesday under a full moon. If you knock three times, come down and there's a dungeon. Like it was, it was really hard for people pre um, internet to get together and meet other kinky people and also not feel like a social pariah. But I think, you know, intertechnology, the munch has sort of lost its charm because a lot of it was based on meeting people locally who you hadn't had a chance to meet. And now the internet has opened up a whole world of meeting people online and finding other people who have that niche balloon fetish like you do and all you need to do is type it into a tiny search box and there will pop up images and videos and links and it's it's great like the internet is great I love the internet um it has given full frontal kink a whole new meaning in my mind because you really can look up anything. You really can find out about anything. And nine times out of ten, you have a kink, someone else has that kink. They might be ten miles away. They might be 10,000 miles away. Someone will probably have that kink. So I'm going to go over some of the best sites I think you can meet kinksters on. I'm not going to talk about munches too much because it's really easy to find out information about them. And I think without getting on these sites, you won't be able to find out about a munch. people and other people who have alternative lifestyles alt.com is a big site that's alt.com it's been around for over 10 years um i was on the site for a while you can meet a lot of people on here but recently i'd say in the last five or six years a lot of people on the site are play for pay that means that you can play with them but you are going to have to pay for it, um, sort of in a financial domination way. It's a lot of females I've noticed on the site who do that sort of thing. So if that's not what you're looking for, or if you're okay navigating around those people, then you, you can certainly use that site. I really like that the filters are great for your inbox on the site because as a female from a female's perspective um it's hard to sift through lots and lots of messages from guys who are promising to do everything under the sun for you when you know that's probably not the case so the filters are great you can filter people based on if they have a picture or not if their profile is complete um where they're located and this is actually one of the few sites that I've ever paid 
for a membership one because if you're just a regular non-paid member, you cannot write people. You must wait to be approached by people. The only people who can write are gold members and those people have paid you know, accounts. And if you have a paid account, you can also reach out to people. So I like that a little bit more because I don't like waiting to be written by people. I love initiating and I will seek you out if I like you. I don't really trust other people's judgment to find me and think that we're going to be a good match. So, um, I sort of like that. And also the monitoring system, which would filter out any sort of email exchange you might want to do in a private message is pretty slack on the site you can leave it on the boards you can put it in messages you can put your email address and then get off the site and talk to them outside of there so I I really like that aspect of it as well and um it's it's been around for a long time I know that it's it's had its ups and downs but I I think it still works the next site I'm going to mention is the site that probably most people know which is fetlife.com It's basically what I call the Facebook of kinksters. It used to be a lot different, but in the last couple of years, it's undergone a lot of facelifts. It's got a lot of new bells and whistles on it, but basically it's turned into the Facebook of kinky people. There's um, a section for kinky and popular pictures and posts and things like that. You can see your friends. You can see your friends' friends. You can see um, what status updates people are doing, which is like 160 characters or such and such. And you can sort of say, I'm feeling this way or this happened to me. And then other people can comment on it. Um, FetLife has stood on the ground that they are a social BDSM networking site. They do not want it to turn into a dating site. Therefore, you cannot search on this site you can't search for anyone under any parameters unless you know their name specifically or a part of a name. And then it will give you every person on the entire site, which is over a million people who have that, that word in their name. So there's no real way to search. Some people get around it by looking through location and then sifting through there. Honestly, I don't have the time or energy for that. I use FetLife to stay connected with the friends I've made in my local community I use it to check out events that are going on locally, and um, I basically use it for the the way it was intended. I know a lot of people try and get around that, and I tell them, like, don't waste your time. Just go to a different site. This isn't the place for that. It, it's really hard to get around their their idea of being a networking site and not a dating site so why bother trying to do that but it is good for locally trying to find things in your area it is good for finding munches it is good for finding parties and people who share your interest and um it is good for keeping up with local happening so I always I always like that the monitoring system within it is not it's it's just non-existent in private messaging so you can exchange emails phone numbers whatever you want in private messaging um it lets you join groups and like i said if you try to put your email address there it's fine people are probably going to spam you but you can do it so they don't really have any blocks with with putting your email out there what they do do is they stop 
inflood of messages. So if you have an account and you write a lot of people, it'll say, hey, you're writing a lot of people. We're going to limit your account now for a little bit. You can't write anyone for 48 hours or you can't post this topic anymore. You've posted it three times in a row in three different groups and it's annoying. And I do appreciate that. It makes it hard if you're running a group on that end, I wish that you could like verify your account as a group account if you're running like a kinky group and you need to send out a lot of messages to people, but I guess that's what you use the forms and threads for. If you are into the swing lifestyle, I have found that Adult Friend Finder has worked. It is terrible for single men, but that's sort of just the baseline for anything to do with swingers. It's terrible for single men, but if you can find someone, then you're okay. I mean, it's it'll work. Obviously, it'll work. There are single men on there. There are always going to be single men on sites, but you won't get as much of a response as if you were to have a female in your profile. It's run by the same people who do um, alt.com. At least it used to be. I don't know if it still is. So the website format is very similar. So if you've seen one, you'll see the other. You'll know how they work. And their monitoring system is exactly the same. You can always go with Craigslist, but I call this a pay your site, a post at your own risk site. Oh my God. Every time I post on Craigslist, I am flooded with messages of dick pics. Hey man, here's a secret. If I want to see your penis, I'll ask to see it. Don't worry. You'll always get pictures of penises if you're a woman on Craigslist and you're posting. It doesn't matter if you post in casual encounters. It doesn't matter if you post in relationship. It doesn't matter where you post women on Craigslist. You will get a dick pic. Just be ready for it. Um, it's hard to filter out messages on Craigslist because once you sign up, all the messages come to you. They have a nifty little box that says, don't write me for spam, yada, yada. And that works for spam, but it does not stop dick pics. So just post at your own risk there. I've heard that men looking for women on the site in a kinky capacity have actually had better responses. They, I know someone who met, um, he put out a post looking for a submissive female and he found a very normal young lady who they're, they, they've stayed in contact. They hook up regularly. She comes to events and the only response, the only reasonable thing I can think is that women are sane on the internet. So that's why he met a sane chick. Dudes, get the message. Be sane on the internet. Don't send your penis picture to someone you've never met. Because in real life, you wouldn't flash your dick at me. So why send it as an attachment? That's <laughs> that's just one attachment I don't want right now. So you can always use Craigslist. It's always there. It's always an option. The last site I've found to mention is OkCupid. This is basically a traditional dating site. You can search for people based on um, how their age, their height, if they're married, if they're not married, where they're located, if they have a job, like all kinds of things because this is a traditional dating site. But in the last couple of years, kinky people have been using the site because they have a cool feature that's called keywords and you type it in using sort of HTML. This is like a nifty little bracket that you put around the word and it makes it clickable. And when you click that word, it'll bring up everyone who has that word listed on their profile somewhere. And you basically make words like BDSM and FetLife and 
kinky and <laughs> dominant and submissive. You make those words have brackets on them, you click it, and then it'll bring up everyone who has that word in their profile. And then you can go ahead and use those awesome filters I was talking about a minute ago where you can do age, location, da-da-da, and find out, hey, is this person near me and are we going to connect based on it? Um, I also like that you can see now a response rate on people's profile. You can see how often they respond and kind of gauge whether or not you think they're going to respond to you. So those are basically the sites that I can think of. I have a few more sites I'm not going to go over, but I will put them in my blog post for you guys to take a look at. Feel free to use them at your own risk. I don't endorse any of them. I have used all of them. <laughs> um, and the most current one I stay active on is fightleft.com because, again, I've been talking to my friends on there for many, many years now. So that's the one I stay on the most. So now we're going to go to our question with Gene, our kinky question of the day, and he's going to read it for us. Hi guys, we've got a question from Lauren India. I'm a 35-year-old single mother of a 15-year-old son. Recently I discovered porn on my son's computer. I know that most boys his age watch porn, but what shocked me was that this was BDSM porn. There were graphic videos which depicted males which were slaves to women. These men were shown caned, spanked, whipped, and tortured. My son and I have a very open relationship. I have talked about sex and relationships with him and we are quite close. So I confronted him about the porn found on his computer and he was initially too embarrassed to talk about it. But several days later he admitted that he likes to watch this kind of porn depicting submissive men and he has fantasized it about for a long time. I forced him to delete all of it but I'm worried nonetheless. I'm especially worried that he may seek to satisfy this desire with someone else who may injure him or worse. Is this a psychological problem? Should I take him to some kind of a counselor? Thanks for reading that kinky question of the day, Gene. So I'm just going to go ahead and dive right into this question. Um, that's awesome that you and your son are close enough for you guys to discuss this. I'm not sure I'd want to do that with my mom, but more power to you if that's how you guys um, have structured your relationship. Right out of the gate, I'm going to let you know that this year, 62% um, of people have admitted to being into or curious about BDSM. And that's not to be like, hey, everyone's doing it. All the cool kids are doing it. That's just to let you know it might be a little bit more common than what you're thinking. You asked me if I think that um, if you should take him to some kind of counselor, um, if he's going to injure himself or someone. And a lot of people have this question when they find out someone's into uh, BDSM or looking into kinky activities. If we were asking Freud, hey, does this person need help? He would say absolutely yes. But recent research has suggested differently. Um, a couple of years ago in 2006, a researcher named Pamela Conley found out that BDSM practitioners compared to normal samples, people who don't practice BDSM, had lower levels of depression, anxiety, PTSD, um, paranoia, etc. Like they seemed like they had actually a better grasp on things. And another researcher backed that up in 2013. That doesn't mean that everyone who practices BDSM is okay across all boards, has no psychological problems. 
but I think it it means that it, right off the cuff they might ne- not necessarily have problems like people think they do. Um, and again, that's it's just it's just based on the individual. I think that trying to throw stats at you I'm just I I'm a factual person I don't want to hear from someone oh well this is this way because I said so so that's why I'm giving you a little bit of background on what researchers have found all in all though your son he's a teenager and he's just flexing his ability to explore his sexuality I think there's a very big difference between our sexual identity and our sexual behaviors and they're not always connected. So you really want to be careful in your actions um, with him in regards to this. You don't want to stifle him in his growth and you absolutely don't want to do anything counterproductive to to his sexuality. Teenagers are naturally rebellious so telling them not to do something only makes them want to do it more. I know this because I was that teenager. Um, Getting him to delete everything off of his computer isn't going to make him stop thinking about it. It's not going to make him stop pursuing it or, you know, being curious about it. Now he's just going to go to his friend's house to look at it or he's just going to get on his phone and do it. And you don't want to take a backslide in trust if you guys are as close as you say you are by making him do something against his will. Um... If you want, if you're comfortable with it and you want to talk to him about it again and he's open to it, you can sort of, you know, show your support and you can think about ways of exploring his sexual interests while reducing any potential harm for him. You can um, connect him to a reliable inform, you know, source of information about sexual practices and sexual communities in your area. You can find out if there are any resources through your sexual health center that will talk to youth people. You can find a BDSM or kink social group that he can join. I know some of them are geared towards younger people. He's not even 18 yet, so that might not be an option. And lastly, you can always, always offer to pay or help him set up a way to talk to a counselor. Although you really want to be careful not to suggest that he needs to talk to someone, but to let him know that that's an option if if that's what he's interested in. And if you get to that point and he's interested, you can message me and tell me where you are locally and I'll try as best as I can to help gather some local resources for you and possibly some um, counselors in your area who are open to talking to kinky teenagers. For me, I know that I've, I didn't come into being a kinkster until I was 19, but now that I look back at my youth and my teenage years, I can definitely see I've always been dominant over men. It's always something I've been interested in. Um, it's not going away anytime soon. I don't think it's any of my mother's business because I wouldn't tell her most things about me sexually anyway. And I feel like this is a part of my sexuality and I just don't really want to share it with him or with her or with my dad or with anyone. Um, so I don't think that you should worry too much that he's going to try and satisfy his desires with someone who's going to hurt him. I think for now it's probably just videos. Um, but if you approach it the right way, there will definitely be room for him to, grow and explore safely while still putting your mind at ease. So thanks a lot for writing the question. Like I said, if you do get to that point with him where you want some more information, just send me another message again and I'll be happy to help you with that. All right. So good luck with that. Okay.
And our last thing for today is, um, I'm just gonna remind you guys, if you want to check out my blog, it's mundanetomiss.blogspot.com. If you have a question, like our reader today, a kinky question, it doesn't matter how silly, it doesn't matter how serious, it doesn't matter how long, how short, there are no dumb questions and there's especially no dumb kinky questions. So send them all my way. Um, Next week, we're going to be talking about, what are we talking about? We're talking about subspace. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about subspace and subdrop and aftercare and hard and soft limits and how to distinguish the two and be firm about setting out to explain those to people. So come back next week, same time, same place. I'll be here. You'll be sexy. It'll be great. From mundane to mysteries.